Jared. Good to see everybody today. Grab a Bible. If you don't have a Bible and you would like a Bible, we've got some in the back. Jared will grab one for you. Raise your hand if you don't have your Bible and you'd like to have one. Okay. Last chance. Little bit of review, but before we review, I want to let you know that this is the first uh, Sunday of the month, and we're going to have communion. We're going to do that at the end of the message. And so I just ask you to begin to prepare your hearts for what the Lord has for you as you are come to his table, and he meets you there, and he speaks to your heart. Also, if you're joining us online, I encourage you to maybe prepare some bread that you can break with us and uh, some juice that you can take with us as we have communion as we wrap things up today. Okay, so we're in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, a little bit of review, verses 7 and 8, and they read like this, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. And by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So think about what Jesus is saying there, and the disciples are listening to him. And he's saying, so you're clinging to me, like Pastor Jared talked about the vine and the branches. You're clinging to me. Your heart is desiring to follow me, to be filled by me. You ask whatever you want and your prayers will be answered without exception. Now that's quite a promise, quite a statement. Think about that. But please note the qualification. On your notes, this is number one. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. So prayer and the word go together. They go hand in hand. As I'm in the Word, His words abide in me. And then I know how to pray and I know what to ask for. Clearly, without doubt, as you look at verse 8, Jesus' word to His disciples is this, first and foremost, this is what I want you to be asking for. I want you to be asking for fruit to be developed in your heart, and your life, that you bear much fruit. And of course, when I talk about the fruit of the Spirit, I always go to Galatians chapter 5. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, as Jesus himself fills our hearts and our lives, what are we going to see? Well, we're going to see love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And Jesus fills our hearts. So last Sunday, Pastor Jared shared from Chuck Smith's book, Why Grace Changes Everything. And as we look to what Jesus is going to be sharing with us next and with his disciples, I think it bears repeating. And so I want to read that excerpt from Pastor Chuck again. Have you ever considered the vast difference between works and fruit? Works suggest a factory 
complete with pressures and deadlines and constant need to produce. But fruit pictures a, a peaceful, tranquil garden, a place where you're inclined to want to stay and drink in the beauty while we enjoy each other's company. It's important to realize that God doesn't come to his factory looking for products or works. He comes to his garden to enjoy its fruit. Pastor Chuck Smith. And what Jesus is going to present to the disciples next in verses 9 through 17 is this garden place where we meet together with Jesus and we experience an atmosphere of God's love. This is the focus. It's the atmosphere that Jesus not only wants, as we will see in this passage, he demands for his church. He wants his disciples to experience this atmosphere with himself and his Father. He pictures that peaceful garden filled with his love. And as you choose to spend time in this place, spend time with him, what will you find? Well, let's look. We go to verse 9 as we start this new passage. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. And then Jesus says, Abide, rest, trust in my love. He says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy may be full. So in your notes, the next one, Jesus' personal invitation to you and to me is just simply abide in my love. Be at rest. Come to me. Receive what I have for you. Because I'm telling you these things because I want your life to be full of joy. I want your life to be full of my joy. No matter what's going on, no matter what's coming down, no matter what we might be going through in the world around us or wherever we might be. When we moved to Boulder, Colorado, and I had an opportunity to be on staff at a church in Boulder, one of the things I didn't realize at CU was that they were, they were big-time football. And I didn't realize it until I saw on the schedule that Notre Dame was coming to CU to play. And I go, you're kidding me. And, of course, at that time they beat CU, the Buffaloes. But Coach McCartney got things going. And one of the young men in our youth group, um, he was in high school at Boulder High, and he tried out for the football team, and he uh, trained in kicking, and he got really good. And he was a walk-on at CU, and he graduated high school. He went to CU and became a Buffalo and started kicking for them. And then his junior and senior years, he was their first-string kicker. And he held the record at CU for field goal attempts and point after attempts, he was 100% phenomenal to the point that the Dallas 
cowboys invited him to come uh, and try out for them. Well, this was the year that CU was in the Orange Bowl, and they were vying for the national championship, and they were playing Notre Dame. And Ken was, oh, he was so pumped, so excited. Dallas, they want me to come and try out for them. He was perfect for two years, field goals. And he steps up to kick. Orange Bowl, Notre Dame, Dallas watching. He missed. And then he, extra point, he missed. Another extra point, he missed. They lost the game. I was devastated. I know I'm not supposed to get emotionally involved, but I was devastated. And I'm talking to Ken after the game the next week, and I go, man, I just can't, I can't believe that that happened. And Ken goes, but pastor, it's not a problem. I go, it's not a problem? No. You see, I've been praying for the Lord's will. I didn't know if I should try out for the cowboys or if I should go to Bible school and become a pastor. Now I know. And his joy, it was just overflowing. Mine was still kind of bummed out. But, and, and Ken became a pastor. Um, one of my favorite kids, by the way. So Jesus promises not happiness, but a constant sense of joy. And it comes in our hearts no matter what we're going through as we're connected to him whether we make that field goal or, or whether we miss by a mile. It didn't matter that much to Ken. He had his answer from the Lord. So on your notes, Jesus' promise is that even when you feel discouraged underneath it all, somehow miraculously, mysteriously, as you surround yourself with Jesus' love, as you abide in his love, there's still joy. His joy will be there. What a promise that is. You see, Ken's life didn't matter. He was praying for God's direction. And when he got God's direction, and he knew the direction that he was supposed to go, his joy was just <clears throat> overflowing his heart for the Lord. Abiding in God's Word and His love, it only brings joy. And not only joy to you, but it's going to bring joy to those around you. How so? Well, look at what Jesus says in verse 12. Grab your Bibles. He says, this is my commandment. Those of you that are clinging to me, that love me, that want me to be filling you with my joy... Well, I've got a job for you to do. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So Jesus says, my word is that as I've loved you, I want you to love one another. It doesn't matter if how much theology you might know, how well-versed you are in God's word, how hard you work in ministry or all the things that you do to, to, to build up the, the church. Jesus says, 
What matters most, if you don't love me, you can do all of those things. And if you don't love the person beside you, you can be doing all of those things. But it doesn't really matter. Notice number four on your list. Notice it's a commandment that Jesus is giving us. And that means that love is not a matter of emotion, but it's a matter of volition. It's a matter of choice. Let's think that through for a little bit. Jesus doesn't ever command us or you to feel something. What he commands is for us to do something. He wants us to help the world to see he's alive. He's for real. They penned him to a cross. They thought that they did him in. But he's alive. And the way the world sees that he's alive, the way that they'll know that he's alive, is when we're filled with his love and we're sharing his love with one another no matter what's going on around us. When you choose to treasure the things that Jesus treasures, when you choose to treasure the people that Jesus treasures, I believe the emotions will follow. The feelings of love will follow. But choice has to come first. I think of Luke chapter 12, verse 34. Jesus said this, Where your treasure is, there your heart is going to follow. Whatever you make your treasure to be, whatever you choose for your treasure to be, your heart's going to be right there after you make that choice. You know, our culture has lost the meaning of what real love is. Consequently, husbands and wives, I hear I've been unfortunately told this. I just don't have that feeling of love anymore. I'm so upset because he's not doing this for me or she's not loving me like she should or I'm leaving. Feelings isn't the issue. Love's not an emotion. Love's a decision. It's an action. Jesus says, my commandment is to do. To make the decision to love. How does that look? What does that look like? Make a decision to make your wife or your husband or your neighbor or the person sitting next to you, your church family. Make a decision to make them a treasure in your life, important in your life. They're important to the Lord. Amazingly, your heart will follow. How did Jesus prove his love for us? Look at what he chose to do. Look at verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friend. Heard John Corson share this story. He's reading the life of John Knox, a missionary. 
And he tells the story that an entire nation was changed. There was a revival. And the reason was this. John Knox prayed, Lord, give me Scotland or I die. But what many people don't know is that the answer that John Knox got was not what he expected. The Lord spoke to his heart and he said, first die and then I'll give you Scotland. We pray, make this relationship work. Change that person. Make them more lovable or I'm going to die. But the Lord says, no, you die first. Lay down your life for your wife or for your husband, your neighbor, your friend, your church. That's the proof of love. But it's not only the proof of love, it's the pathway to start to be a loving person like Jesus wants you to be as he fills you with his life and you die to your old nature, and you come alive to him, and then the feeling returns. It's a decision. Are you willing to die to your old life? Are you willing to come alive to Christ, to make him your treasure and the things that he wants for your life, your treasure? Are you willing to trust him with your future? with your life. Lay down your life. Practical? Here's what we're going through right now. Are you willing to lay down your life with, for the love of Jesus Christ for others? Mask or no mask? Shouldn't matter. Hug or no hug? Shouldn't matter. Online or come in person? Shouldn't matter. Last Sunday we had the privilege of going to church with Jake and Leslie and their family. It was awesome. We all met together. We worshiped the Lord and we were sitting in a parking lot. <laughs> well, what an awesome place to be. It didn't matter that we couldn't be in the sanctuary to Cheryl and myself. We were with those that we loved. It shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter. Peter puts it this way. 1 Peter 4.8 Above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love covers a multiple of sins, of problems, of issues, of struggles. You know, wherever we find ourselves in God's Word, that's where we are. And isn't it amazing that God's meeting us with his word right here to help us through, to help us be what Jesus calls us to be. I like that. Jesus in verse 14 says, You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Let that sink in. Is that your heart? Is that who you want to be? That's what Jesus has for me and for you. And he goes on. It's a very fascinating verse. We're going to look at it a little bit. Verse 15. 
No longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my Father. Why, I've shared these with you. Think about what Jesus is saying. And he's saying this to the disciples. The servants were their hired hands, like employees. They have no stake in the business. They're given a job. They do the job. They get paid. When it's done, they go home. They don't worry about it anymore. They're told only what they need to know. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, no, you are now my friends. You are now part of the business. You're now co-owners. And the owners, why we confide in each other. And everything the Father has told me, I'm sharing with you. You're a co-owner in the company, Jesus is saying to his disciples and to you and I. Number five in your notes. Here Jesus promotes his disciples to co-ownership. He's upping the ante on their involvement with his kingdom by drawing them into his inner circle. And that's where Jesus is inviting you to be. And what's the foundation for this company, this kingdom that Jesus is building? Well, the foundation for this friendship that we have with the Lord, it's his love for you and for me and for these disciples. Let's look at that just a bit. Romans 5.8 For God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners and we did not deserve his love, he died for us. And Luke 7.34-35 through 35, The Son of Man has come and he's come as a friend tax collectors and sinners. And oh, how glad I am that he was my friend before I became his friend. And then verse 35 is really a profound verse. But wisdom is justified or proven right by all her children. So here comes Jesus and he loves us. And he gives himself for us. And the wisdom of what God has done, going to the cross, look at how it's changed countless lives. Jesus, his children, were changed from the inside out. How so? Well, his love changes us like nothing else could. In Jesus' heart, we see that in Hebrews 12, 2. We look to Jesus. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He's the one who loved us first and gave himself for us. Who for the joy that was set before him. And I believe that he's, as he was being nailed to the cross, he saw you, he saw me. And in his heart, he says, it's worth it. It's worth it. 
For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And now he sits at the right hand in the throne of God. Being a Christian, it's not about religion or works or anything like that. It's all about the relationship with Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. He's, his love is our foundation. And I thought about this. I, I not only believe that Jesus loves us, I think, I think he likes us. I think he gets a kick out of us. I think sometimes he goes, Oh, what next, Tally? Oh, well, I'm here for you. And it's a delight to his heart as we have a relationship with him. It brings a smile to his face. It's amazing when you think about it. Why is that? Because we're now his friends. We're now with Him for all eternity. And He wants us to know what He and the Father are doing. And He wants us to be included. Number six on the notes, as you, as you pray and you open His Word, He will meet with you there. And He will reveal more and more of Himself to you. For what does Jesus say next? I like this, verse 16. He says, You didn't choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. Not only does Jesus call us to be his friend and want us to know him more personally and be more and more involved with the, with the love of God the Father, God the Son. He wants us to be just overflowing with His presence and His love. But look at what He says here. He personally appoints us to be involved in His ministry, in His kingdom, in His work. Whether you're credentialed by an ordination council or not, that's not that's irrelevant the basis of this passage you're appointed just as much as billy graham or pastor jared or pastor lee or pastor don or pastor coach jesus says i've appointed you and that's all you need you see you are his minister so be filled to overflowing with him don't try to do it in your own strength. And whatever you ask, as we finish verse 16, you're going to need all the help you can possibly do because you can't do it in your own strength. But as you turn to Jesus and you ask for Him to fill you, and to give you the joy and to give you the love and to change your heart from inside out, whatever you ask, Whatever you ask in my name, the Father, He will give it to you. So you walk into a Tesla dealership. You've had your eye on the, the performance Model S. The base model of that car is only $99,990. Not a bad deal, right? Right? 
Especially when Pastor Lee says, Hey, you want that? I'll write a check out for you. So you take my check. You go into the dealership. You pick the car out. No, I, I, I don't want just a base model. I want more than that. You see, I've got this check. And so you pick your car out. You get your car. And they look at the check. Lee Talley. Who's that? We're going to check his bank account. <laughs> and they go, we checked his bank account. <laughs> Get out of here. There's no money in there. <sighs> so you go talk to someone else. And they authorize you and you go back to that dealership. And you go, I want that car. And you lay that check down. And they look at that check and it's signed by Elon Musk. They look at his bank account. $134 billion. No problem. Yes, sir. What color would you like? You know, it's yours. So it doesn't matter what's in Pastor Lee's bank account or your bank account. What matters is the bank account on the name that you're drawing the money from. And that's what Jesus is saying here. This is my bank account in heaven. And it's waiting for you. I've signed the check already. All you have to do is ask and claim it. It's yours, you see. And clearly, number seven... Without doubt, Jesus' word to his disciples, this is what we're to ask for. We're to ask for fruit. That you might bear much fruit. 1 John 5, 14-15 Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. And what fruit is on the top of Jesus' list? Well, He's shared with us. What, what fruit in His riches in heaven's bank is just sitting there for you? He's already signed the check. Verse 17, these things I command you, that you love one another. By the way, Jesus' commandments are his enablements. When you go, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but you've told me this is what I need to do. I don't know how I'm going to. But in my heart, I want to do what you've commanded me to do. He's already signed the check. His power in heaven's bank is in your heart. And you will be able to do what he's commanded you to do. I'm going to cover a few more verses, but while I'm looking at those verses, we're going to have the communion being passed out. And you can 
take the bread and hold it in the cup and hold it and wait until we're ready together to receive communion. Okay, verse 17. These things I command you. It's my command. I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. I want you to love others as I've loved you. Okay, Lord, we hear you. Did you know this is the third time that Jesus has told his disciples this command? The first time, John 13, in chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. I was number one. Number two, in this chapter, verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then number three, this verse 17. These things I command you, that you love one another. Jesus' heart for his church. He desires with all his heart that his church be an atmosphere of love, filled to overflowing with his love, willing to lay down our lives that others might do better, that others might find the joy of the Lord Jesus in their lives. If we ask, what does he promise to do? Look at Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. He signed the check. Heaven's bank is just full to overflowing with Christ and his love. And as we choose to put into practice what he's commanded us to do, his command is our enablement. So as we go to a time of communion, He invites you to his table. He invites you in a vivid way to remember how much he loved you and what he's done for you. He invites you to see his broken body and then to literally taste of it. He reminds you to see his blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary and dripped down and was soaked in by the earth below. And to literally take in his love. And then he reminds you to turn to him. Lord, if this is your command, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but that's my heart. I want to be your disciple. I come to communion with an open heart. 
I want to see you. And I want to be more like you. Lord, as we come to the communion table, we thank you for your broken body and your shed blood. It's a picture for us to remember how great your love is and to be drawn closer to you, to ask for what you would have us to ask for, and to receive from you that which only you can give. And it's that our joy, no matter what we're going through, might be full. And as we love one another, that your love might reach out and touch their hearts. We thank you for your death. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that you rose again and we thank you that you're alive today and that you call us your friend. We pray this in Jesus' name. Paul says, For I received from the Lord, which that I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke the bread, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, Paul goes on, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Then as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So you also proclaim, he's alive, and he's coming back someday. Amen. Okay. I think Tyler's going to lead us in one more song. So let's stand, and we'll close our service. Thank you for coming today. And may the love of the Lord Jesus Christ overwhelm you and consume you and change me and you from the inside out this week. Lord, richly bless you. Thanks for coming. God bless. We'll be up front to pray with anyone if you'd like prayer.